Welcome to Season 2 of Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? Each week, Ing Podcast invites you to join us on a journey. Join us as we talk with people of faith who are creatively thinking, growing, and being. People who are reimagining and exploring what it means to enrich faith in a complex world. Over the past few weeks here at Ink Podcast, we've been remembering the life and legacy of M.J. Sharp, a Mennonite peace builder who was kidnapped and killed on a UN mission in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Today, we'll wrap up our conversation with Marshall King, author of the recent book, Disarmed, The Life and Legacy of Michael M.J. Sharp. And then we'll talk with David Nyeringabo, a peace worker from the Democratic Republic of Congo and one of the first recipients of the MJ Sharp Scholarship at Eastern Mennonite University. Our conversation begins now. Join us as we journey together. Marshall, thanks again for being with us here on Ing Podcast. Thanks, Ben. So we have this story, this true story of a unarmed uh, person who worked for peace, uh, essentially being kidnapped and eventually murdered on a UN mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, that's an unusual uh, story to be reporting on. Um, as a reporter, did you set yourself up with a different set of parameters in telling a story like this, knowing the sort of the weightiness? You know, I was at, I was working, uh, still doing some newspaper work, doing some communications and PR work. You know, it's always been kind of a part-time project for the most part. Uh, I know work part-time for um, the Community Foundation of Elkhart County doing some storytelling and, and communications work for them. And so the writing of this really happened in early 2021 when I would try to do my job the first couple <laughs> days of the week yeah. and then do the book writing at the end of the week. And then did there were a couple weeks in which I did larger chunks of writing, usually um, in one case at least hold up in a in a guest house in North Carolina. So when you're a journalist, doing an interview that goes well is somewhat energizing, even mm. if it's hard content. Yeah. And just about every interview had this piece, like I, I talked about in the podcast with patients, to where it was this little nugget. Um, so the interviews, the relationships that developed, I mean, I I drew close to some of MJ's family and friends, and they've become friends. Mm. And so we were in this together in some ways. I think that work was more prolonged. I, at a certain point, referred to it more as a marathon than a sprint. Mm. And as a newspaper guy, I'm more of a sprinter when it comes to writing. But I was doing a marathon or even an ultra marathon. And and what I also didn't realize while I was doing that, particularly in the final months of doing it, is the impact or the toll that yeah. it was taking physically and yeah. emotionally on me. And so I had to, I've had to do some work just to kind of pay attention and focus a little bit more on my own health and heal up a little bit because it is, a, it was a heavy lift. It's a heavy uh, lift and a heavy book for us to, to, to read as well. Um, I found myself uh, in the last couple of months reading uh, Rachel Held Evans' uh, book, uh, Wholehearted Faith. Rachel passed away in 2017 and um, and her book was finished by colleagues and written sort of posthumously but I was moved almost to tears in the first chapter uh, 
hearing these words kind of from the grave. And I felt very similar feelings uh, as I navigated your incredible work too. Like it was sacred oh, space. Wow. Like it was, um, it was something that, that needed to be told, but was um, uh, going to require a lot of me. So it's not surprising to me to hear uh, that it has also required something of you as its author to, to bring us this gift. And it really does feel like that, like a, an offering of sorts to, oh, to those well, of us who you. knew MJ. And I think to those who didn't, I'm guessing as well, who, who will take the time to read it. One of the things that you talk about fairly frequently, uh, a thread that was constantly there in MJ's life about, about what comes next. Um, you know, even as he was doing this uh, peacekeeping mission, which turned out to be the final days of his life, he was still trying to um, clarify where he felt he was called next. And um, I wonder what you think that means for his legacy. He longed for some of the things that are, are hallmarks of, you know, kind of your average conventional Mennonite life, if you will, mm. um, you know, marriage and kids. And, and I think that those things were ahead of him. But for a chunk of his life, he chose to focus on his this work in the world and and going going to places in the world that maybe meant that he sacrificed some of those other things. And so I think he was interested in living well and doing the most that he could. I think he pushed himself hard, and yet yeah, he was human. He was um, he was he was human. He was imperfect and um, despite all his talents. And so this wrestling with what comes next and how does this look and how do we do this, I think is the appropriate question always. And certainly in an era where democracy seems to be more of a question or more at risk than at some other times or, uh, the, some of the conversations that we're having in the Mennonite church feel fraught in ways because of some of our differences. Yeah. And so I don't know that, you know, MJ was telling us or would tell us, oh, pay attention to that over there. But, but I think, um, yeah. <laughs> but I think if we are trying to live out our beliefs in some of those ways, perhaps we make a few different choices than maybe we had otherwise. And maybe we do do it a little more boldly than we might have. Um, you know, MJ was not a shrinking violet. I mean, he kind of charged into the world and for good, at, yeah. you know, for good. And sometimes <laughs> to maybe seek some adrenaline that I don't need to seek. Um, but also I think, uh, addressing that question is entirely appropriate. Well, and I think it, it goes back to this uh, question of, you know, the boxes that he fit into as well. You, you said he charged into the world, but um, held up with the very real way he was present with people and the, the quotes that we have from him, like some, you know, sometimes you can just listen yeah. uh, this intentional posture to yes, both, say yes to difficult things, but to know that sometimes what we're called to is to just sit around a table and to hear people's stories. Um, I, I, I think that that is, is something that, um, 
those of us who think we are called to, to save the world should be taking heart in, right? To to yeah. also remember that we're not supposed to charge in all the time, but we are to have this posture of of, of grace and, and hospitality and and to just listen. But Ben, I think too, it's when something confronts us yeah. and demands a choice from us, sometimes we have to to avail ourselves to the hard choice. Marshall, I just want to say uh, how appreciative I am for your willingness to take on this project and for spending these three weeks with us on Ing Podcast. Thanks, Ben. It's delightful to, to have gotten to this point and to be able to talk with you about it today. After the break, we'll begin a conversation with David Nyeringabo, a peace worker from the Democratic Republic of Congo and one of the first recipients of the MJ Sharp Scholarship at Eastern Mennonite University. We'd like to thank Lee and Marvin Schmucker of Wichita, Kansas, for being generous donors to Menno Media. Lee and Marvin are part of Menno Media's 2022 Provident Giving Society, a group of generous supporters who provide foundational resources so Menno Media can always pursue mission over profit in a very competitive publishing environment. If you enjoy the content provided by Ink Podcasts and other Menno Media materials, please consider donating and supporting our work today at www.menomedia slash donate. Today's episode is brought to you in part by two graduate programs at Eastern Mennonite University. The Center for Justice and Peacebuilding and Eastern Mennonite Seminary offer graduate degrees, certificates, and other professional development opportunities. Join us to expand your skills, challenge your mind, and feed your spirit. Eastern Mennonite Seminary is grounded in the Anabaptist values of community, service, sustainability, peacebuilding, and discipleship. We invite you to participate in God's movement and discern together how to lead communities to embody Christ in the world. At the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, you will learn with people working towards a more just and less violent world. You will become adept at interrogating systems, understanding the causes of violence and injustice, and responding to them. Learn more about how we can be a part of your journey by visiting emu.edu ing. Today, I have the privilege of sitting down with David Nyeringabo. He is a uh, graduate of Eastern Mennonite University's Conflict Transformation Program and a recipient of the uh, Michael M.J. Sharp Scholarship at EMU. Um, I think this is a really interesting part of uh, the conversation that we've been having and uh, of MJ's legacy. David, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Of course. You're welcome. Thank you too for having me on the show. For people who don't know you, how do you describe yourself these days? Uh, David Nyiringabo, um, uh, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was born and raised in East Eastern DRC. Um, came to the U.S. in 2018, and I lived in Rwanda for three years. That's where I did my undergrad um, in peace building and development, and then I came to Eastern Mennonite University for the conflict transformation program for my master's. Um, fun fact about me, I speak five languages. I love comedy. 
I am not a pet person. People are like, oh, no, you should love pets. I love pets, but I'm scared of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some good fun facts. I feel like we could have a whole episode just, just learning more about I yourself know. and uh, talking about those specific things. I'm, in, I'm curious uh, about your journey to uh, EMU's Conflict Transformation Program. How did that happen and what drew you to this um, very small college in uh, the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia? I guess the journey all started with my passion for peace peace work or peace building in the Congo or in the world wherever I find myself. Um, I personally lost my father in a civil war. Mm. He didn't die of uh, natural causes. He was killed. So growing up, it, like there was this passion growing in my heart and I just knew one thing. I didn't want any other child to experience what I had experienced. Mm. Because growing up without a father and knowing that he was killed and he was innocent was just like so painful. Yeah. So that led me to, you know, doing peace building work. Um, and that meant, um, you know, being a part of communities and studying and also being a part of different conversations on, on peace building. So because I was so passionate about it, I did a master, um, an undergrad in peace building and development in Rwanda. And um, as I was living in Rwanda, I heard about um, two UN staff members that were killed in the Kasai um, region in the Congo. I literally heard about it like anyone else. And it was very surprising to see um, people that were working for the security council be just killed like that yeah, in the wow. democratic republic of congo because we all know how much uh power the the security council has and all of that so we everyone heard about yeah. it almost and i also heard about it like anyone else um as i was approaching the end of my undergrad program i was looking for an opportunity to continue my studies in the united states or in the uk or germany um and um it's at that time that one of my coach, I can call him a coach uh, that was working for MCC at that time, recommended me to, to CJP, the Center for Justice and Peace Building at Eastern Manai University. And as they responded, they said, oh, we actually have this um, MJ Sharp scholarship. I was like, MJ, there's a scholarship about Michael Sharp? <laughs> and they said, yes, they were. They told me about the, the kind of candidates that they were looking for um, and Praise God, I met the criteria of um, receiving the MJ Sharp Scholarship. It wasn't just a scholarship, it was also being a part of the story, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and also having the honor and, and the privilege and the responsibility to, to be a part of MJ's story. Yeah. Um, so that's how it all began for me. Um, that's how I came, you know, to Eastern Mennonite University and... Here I am. So it sounds like you had at least heard of uh, MJ before discovering this scholarship. Uh, had you met him in, in real life? I had heard about MJ. I didn't meet him, unfortunately. Uh, so it's after I became a part of the scholarship and the whole story that followed his death that I went back and started talking to some of my friends and some of the friends I have knew MJ mm. because I have friends that work for the United Nations. And it was just surprising to know that we knew the same person, yeah. but we never, we knew like we had friends in common, like 
he wasn't that close in my circle or my network. Um, and then after that, I got to talk to some of his friends and learn more about him, what he liked, the kind of person he was. And it's at this moment in your life when you're like, oh, man, I want to meet MJ and Junior. And remember, <laughs> oh, no, he's no longer. Um, so all those sorts of things, I guess, is what followed wow. after um, I received the scholarship. As you were telling your story, I was struck by the um, uh, something that his parents said recently when I interviewed them, that um, we're all faced with choices. And uh, people like to hold up MJ as someone who who was willing to go out and risk things. But they said really all that he did was said yes when, when opportunities were presented to him. Um, it sounds like you have that spirit as well. Uh, hearing you know you talk about uh, the, the traumatic experience of losing a parent, uh, I think you had the choice too to um, become active or to be almost paralyzed and to just mm -hmm. do nothing. Can you, can you speak about that moment in yourself and, and what you think um, perhaps inspired you to, to, to take steps to be a peace builder? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Thanks for raising that question. I think it's uh, pain and trauma are, can be very tricky. Yeah. When, when we experience a traumatic event, um, we are faced with many choices. It's either we want to inflict the same pain on on others, the same person that inflicted that pain on us. And sometimes we might think that that will give us healing or some type of satisfaction. Yeah. But in reality, even when you talk to um, people that lost their loved ones to murder and then they saw the murderer being incarcerated or punished um but they can still tell you they were punished but i'm not healed yeah, you know yeah. i i i know they're you know in pain but i'm not healed like that just that you know the other choice we have is you know doing nothing and just withdrawing from the world from everything but still for me that would not give me healing yeah. it would have been easier for me to just do something else that has nothing to do with peace building and probably i would have earned a living or just have a nice job or career but for me this this was healing it was more meaningful to be a part of you know the solution yeah. i would say um and as i mentioned I just don't want my children to suffer the way I suffered. Yeah. Um, and if tomorrow we can see a Congo that is, is transformed to some extent because we all came together and did something, I'd be proud to go in peace one day. So um, at the bottom every, of everything, I have to be honest, it's my faith, um, believing in Jesus, who you know um, is calling us to peace and i think prayer and just knowing that there's a god above everything and that things that happen to me as a child of god are not mistakes yeah. you know even my pain can be used and transformed i've been inspired by the idea of having my scars heal other people mm. uh, not because i try to brag but because i believe it's possible so i guess I don't know if those are the only things that led hmm. me to choose this path, but I would say probably among the ones that I can quickly think of, those are the few um, things that played a role in this situation. I spent several years as a campus minister here at Penn State University, and um, one of the things I appreciated about that uh, space was the opportunity to engage when 
injustice happened. You know, I could go to yeah. uh, a peace march or a protest or a open forum or something like that and feel, like you said, like I was part of the solution in whatever very small uh, way. Mm -hmm. I'm now primarily a stay-at-home parent and I, I can sense in myself some helplessness when I feel big things mm -hmm. are out there and I'm doing very little besides, <laughs> you know, caring for my children. And uh, so I empathize a lot with that uh, that desire. And I wonder about what our, our spirit, our soul, um, the requirement to be active. And like you said, uh, how that shapes the healing process. Um, perhaps that's what it means to join the spirits movement in the world to, mm -hmm. to take a step, whatever that kind of step looks like, um, to be part of some, some part of that, uh, that movement mm -hmm. in our world. I'm struck too with, uh, with, your uh, your calling back to um, the Congo, and uh, that's something that I have continued to hear as I've interviewed people. Um, let's not forget about the Congo. It's easy to mm -hmm. lift MJ up as a hero or a martyr, um, and to forget that there is still a a country here with with uh, a lot of beauty and a lot of challenges and. Um, and that MJ would want us to continue to remember um, the context that he worked, this uh, this land that he called a paradise, but was also, um, you know, complicated enough that it led to his death. And um, mm -hmm. I, I sense that call in you, uh, still a, a desire to be connecting back to this uh, homeland of yours. Is that true? Yeah, that that is true. You know, no matter where I go, I will always feel like I'm not from there. Yeah. I... I can't change my home. It's my home. Yeah. I might get citizenship in another country. I might get permanent residence in another place. But I still know that the Congo is my home. Mm -hmm. And and there's always that desire to go home, to 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 go to the place where you grew up, remember your childhood, yeah. those that village life when we were coming of age and all those things. And the desire deep down is making it a place where everyone can feel safe, yeah. you know, where people can travel from point A to point B and not worry about being kidnapped mm -hmm. or, you know, where people can celebrate and feast without being worried that, you know, there's going to be gunshots yeah. or anything like that. And it's a, it's a very big context. When we talk about going to back to Congo or doing something in the Congo, it can be very disappointing, like really. Because as you come in, the government by itself will disappoint you mm. because they will bring your visa fees like so high. Even if they say it's five hundred dollars, they will you will still pay extra money in corruption, for example. So, let's say you are not Congolese and you want to help. That's already disappointing mm. because you're like, I'm coming here to help, but you cannot. <laughs> so there's all these things that are set up for you to almost not even try. You know what I mean? Yeah. People that are trying to do something, they disappear. Yeah. People that are trying to change things, they disappear. So I think it requires a strategy. It requires learning how to work in the underground. It requires knowing what you are doing and why you are doing it. Mm. I think the why you are doing it is more important mm. because unless you know that, you will not stay a day in the Congo because you will not have electricity. You will not have, you know, safe water to drink everywhere you go. You will not feel safe everywhere. So it's... It's complex, yeah. but it's possible. Um, I see this situation as like a big thing, but there's a, an entry point to even the most complex of contexts. 
It, we have a long history too of the way that, um, especially Western missionaries, have gone into places and messed things up. Uh, I and I'm uh, I'm I'm touched by a posture that MJ seemed to have of being willing to go in and just simply listen, to be present, and to mm-hmm. to try and navigate spaces by hearing what people were saying, um, not assuming that he is someone with some support, some education, some wealth. Uh, you know, arrive with all the answers, but, uh, mm-hmm. to, to come in with a posture of, uh, receptivity, uh, and, and hopefully that's part of the equation as well. If, uh, if people want to, um, want to help in the Congo as well. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I'm curious, uh, David, as you think about, uh, being a recipient of this scholarship, um, what is your hope, uh, for, for people moving forward, um, whether that's uh, a piece of MJ's legacy moving forward or, or a, a call to, to peace building. Um, how, how do you, what, what is your hope for the future? I think my hope for the future is at different levels. Mm. Um, but as we are talking about MJ and his work and his legacy, I think it's, um, it's what you said earlier. As we talk about, MJ, let's not forget about the Congo, or as we talk about um, the pain that people that are going to Congo to help can experience, let's not forget about the Congo. And that also goes with um, the idea of, you know, whatever it is that we are trying to do in a context that's not probably our home context, there's always someone that has already started doing something. Mm. And it's about finding that person. And as you said, MJ listened, sitting down with them, listening to them and seeing how you can help them um, or how you can work together to, to bring about change. I would say the, the, the hope for the future is that um, we can find a way of, I don't know, people working together, being engaged, because what happens in the Congo, what we don't realize is the interconnectedness of us as human beings. Mm. Like, if I tell you we are interconnected right now, you'll be like, I'm in Pennsylvania and you're in Virginia. But that if we look at it from a physical perspective, probably not directly, but from a spiritual perspective and nature perspective, we are interconnected. Let's use COVID. Someone caught COVID in China, somewhere in a small village where I've never been or probably ever be. And here we are. Yeah. There's a pandemic yeah. worldwide. We share the air. We share many things. Um, and there's so many ways we are interconnected. So if we forget about a, a small corner of the world and think, oh, it's on the other continent. Look, here we are in the United States. MJ's family was affected. His friends, his entire network was affected yeah. all over the world. But where did this happen? Somewhere in eastern, in, in, in the Congo. So what happens to the Congo is affecting Africa, for example, because the Congo has natural resources. We have so much that can feed the entire continent. Mm-hmm. If everything, like if there's just peace and stability um, and so on. So I think that... You know, even as the world, we are interconnected. We are connected to the world. The electronics we are using, the minerals that are in our electronics, all of that is connected to the Congo. And not only the Congo, many other places in the world that have these, um, you know, minerals and and, and raw materials that we use to build uh, electronics and other things. So maybe just being so mindful of how interconnected we are. And remembering that in our work, I guess, I hope, that's, it sounds like 
abstract is not tangible, but I think it's deep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it just takes uh, a minute for us to pause to remind ourselves of that interconnectedness. I mean, I, I think um, I saw a, a, an interview with you where you talked about um, laughing, singing and dancing being a part of the solution to um, to, uh, you know, the injustice in, in a lot of parts of the world. And uh, uh, those are also uh, things that are hard to actually describe, and yet we all laugh, right? We we all know that this thing happens, but but trying to figure out the mechanics of why is sometimes really hard to to name. Um, but it yeah. again, it connects us across division and it c- connects us across distances. Um, these things that are sort of out there in the air that uh, that make us feel like we are part of one humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for that word. It, it it brings me a lot of of hope and joy to hear that from you. Yeah, just a word of gratitude to everyone that is listening and that has probably been helping not only the Congo but other places in the world that are suffering. Um, you know, it's I'm here in the United States. I can wake up and know that I'm a, somehow safe. Yeah. Um, because somebody somewhere gave a small amount of money to add to a scholarship, um, you know, even if it didn't pay for all of my tuition, but it contributed significantly. So just a word of gratitude to the people out there that are trying to help, no matter how small the um, contribution can be, it's, it's still very important. So just thank you for you who are trying to make this world a better place. It's a dream, but it comes true. Are there ways that people can follow the work that you're doing as a peace builder in the world, uh, a social media platform or something that you would direct people to if they want to follow your journey? I have a Facebook page called David Talks. I try to host uh, like podcast, video-based podcast conversations with friends around different topics that I like, like peace work or just living in a community and things like that. Um, I think that's one way to stay in touch with me, but also on my um, Facebook, David M. Nyeringabo. Um, I also try to stay active on social media, um, but I haven't been doing most of the David talks lately because of just how life has been so yeah. crazy. But um, I think those are the few few ways to, to stay in touch. Thank you so much again for being with us here on Ink Podcast. Um, Peace go with you as you continue this work. Sure. Thank you, Ben. The new book, Disarmed, The Life and Legacy of Michael M.J. Sharp, is available now wherever you order books. Next week on Ing Podcast, we move into the season of Lent. We'll be talking with Jason Porterfield, author of the new book, Fight Like Jesus, How Jesus Waged Peace Throughout Holy Week. When I started writing this book, I never could have imagined just how divided our country would become, how divided the United States would come. The the vitriol and the enmity, they're, they're endemic now. But yet, as I've talked with people who've read the book thus far, a number of them, the majority of them, not from a peace church tradition, I've been really encouraged to see them grappling uh, with the content of this book. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who support Ing Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have something to share, send us a message at theing at menomedia.org 
or by leaving us a voicemail. Ng Podcast is hosted by Reverend Allison Moss and Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards and produced by me, Ben Weidman. Views and opinions expressed on Ng Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Ng Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org. Thank you.